While state lawmakers and governors may get most of the headlines and attention from the media, many of the levers of power in state government are pulled by players who go largely unnoticed by the public. And there's hardly a better example of this dynamic than the state's Public Service Commission, the regulatory agency tasked with overseeing utilities in the Empire State. So we wanted to provide a bit of a behind-the-scenes perspective on the Public Service Commission and its work. And to do that, we're joined on the Capitol Press Room by the longest-serving current commissioner, Diane Berman, who served as the chief counsel to the GOP Senate majority prior to moving to the PSC in 2013. Welcome to the studio, Commissioner Berman. Thank you for having me. Well, it's our pleasure to have you with us. So for starters, how did you end up as a commissioner on the PSC? Was it something you coveted based on your experience as a counsel for the commission prior to being in the Senate? Yeah, so I grew up always wanting to be an energy regulator. <laughs> as a little girl. As a little girl. Um, for Halloween, dressing up as a yes, commission I member. Did. Yes, um, Actually, I think that it was destined, even though I don't think I ever really saw myself as an energy regulator. When I was 10 years old, I was in the hospital for a special surgery in New York City. And I was in a critical care unit. Um, having had major surgery and not being able to walk. And it was the blackout of 1977. And sitting outside of the room where the nurses were, because I was at the nurses station for them to be able to closely watch me, I heard a lot of commotion and concern and confusion. Heard a lot of activity outside, which was very scary for a 10-year-old. The generating lights were on, but um, they were the nurses and the doctors and the support staff were all talking about being afraid of the generators running out and what they were going to do. So they were triaging who was going to be able to stay, who had to be moved, how they would be moved. And so that experience really kind of sat with me for a long time. And obviously, over the years, they would do the five-year anniversary, the 10-year anniversary. But I think it made a significant impact on me, on the critical need of the ability to have the lights stay on. But also, it was a critical need about the leadership. Um, at that time, you, you know, as a little girl, for me, the doctors and the nurses were the leaders. Some of them weren't able to handle the pressure of what they were going to do. And so it was kind of listening to who stepped up and calmed people, who took control. And so I think sort of throughout my life, that sort of resonated with me in terms of being involved in public service, in leadership roles. And so naturally, I sort of was drawn to the need for the lights to stay on. So it kind of feel like it comes full circle to my time as that 10-year-old being scared, being in the blackout of 1977. Well, for listeners who might not be familiar with the regulatory powers of the Public Service Commission, what is the entity's actual job in terms of keeping the lights on? So the primary mission of the Public Service Commission is to ensure affordable, safe, secure, and reliable access to energy, which can be electric, gas, steam, telecommunications, and water services, and to do so in a way that is at just and reasonable rates and also protects the environment. So we are a commission of seven currently, 
where we have our staff arm, the Department of Public Service, who helps to ensure that we are being responsible. We have a fiduciary responsibility to the ratepayers, and we have a responsibility to oversee the utilities that we regulate uh, in ensuring that energy is reliable, affordable, and safe. So on that topic of this idea of affordability, safe, secure, reliable, earlier this year we talked with the Empire Center for Public Policy about the idea, at least from their perspective, that the mandate of the public service has been shifting maybe away from those priorities, has been expanding to take on additional criteria outside of just, say, reliability and affordability. Do you feel like the guiding principles have changed since you initially joined the Public Service Commission, or do you feel like you're still sticking to those key tenets? So I think it's a little complicated. I think that in anything from a regulatory perspective, especially in the energy sector, events drive certain actions. So an event happens, Superstorm Sandy, a blackout, certain things will happen. And then because of that event, folks want to move and act, whether it's from the regulatory space or the legislative space. And so they will put forward actions which are supposed to address the event, making sure it never happens again, making sure we're prepared. And then when you go to implement those actions, you see whether or not it worked what changes need to be done. And so if you're really looking at it from, and the lens that I look at it from is events, driving actions, driving implementation, you want it to be a smooth, prudent structure so that it is a continually evolving and improving process. And so if you have certain actions, whether it's legislative or regulatory, that's really done more from a knee-jerk crisis reaction, When you go to implement, you will have challenges. And you're also supposed to be looking at it from the perspective, or at least how I look at it, is that the challenge is to balance this reliability with your environmental sustainability and to also look at the cost of energy supply that's supposed to meet the needs and the demands of consumers and support the growth of the state's economy. So for me, it's a constant looking to see what are we doing How are we doing it? How are we planning? How are we processing so that we are ready for the next event? We are ready to pivot when we need to, and we are prepared to continually improve. And so that's kind of the, you know, the process that I see. We have a broad mandate, not only from a reliability perspective, but also from a clean energy perspective. We have a lot more direct legislation that we didn't have when I started 10 years ago. But the Public Service Commission's really responsible to make sure that whatever legislative actions get put before us, that we do it not just as a check the box process, but that we do it really thinking carefully through what are the outcomes that this will have, what are the unintended consequences from some of that, and how can we fulfill our responsibility that we have to do from whatever legislation is mandating us in a way that is appropriate. And that may mean that at times we have to be creative in how we respond. We have to be flexible. 
And we also have to be able to push back when there is legislation, as well-intended as it is, isn't actually going to achieve the result that folks want. And so for me, I see my responsibility as being very thoughtful in this energy transition in a way that raises challenges, not as a way of saying, so we shouldn't move forward, but we should be doing so very mindful of what it is that we're actually moving towards. When you think about then the legislative action that's happened during your tenure, and specifically the 2019 adoption of the Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act, has that resulted in environmental concerns being elevated to the same level as affordability and reliability when making concerns? Or does the environmental concerns need to still take a secondary seat when it comes to thinking about the implications of of your decision and affordability and reliability uh, being of first concern? I think that's a great question. We are at our core economic regulators. We are at our core focused on reliability and affordability, and that's not divorced from sustainability. So the lens that I look through is really four lenses. That's a lot of lenses. (laughs) So the first is... I think I have glasses like that, or my parents (laughs) do maybe. (laughs) So the first is, will it increase or decrease system reliability? And looking at that, making sure we have the right analysis in what that means. Um, Then the second is, will it increase or decrease customer and or utility worker safety? What are we doing in that space? Uh, we have to have it safe. We need a workforce that's, that's able to uh, thrive. And we also need to make sure that our customers are safe in anything that we're doing. Then the third is, will it increase or decrease rates? And when I talk about rates, it's not just the rates that are on your energy bill. It's actually outside of that, looking at the costs overall. What we're doing may have other implications for businesses, for residences, in what they need to do to be prepared. And then the fourth is, will it give customers a greater range of viable options to use energy or water efficiently to save money? So after I go through all of that analysis, and in each one there's different levers that you have to look at, after that analysis of those are four essential questions, then you consider the impact on the environment from many different perspectives. Understanding that policy-driven legislative actions that come from events, these drive certain things, and it's very hard to unlink the policies that are put in place. So it's really important to look at it in terms of the pace that you're doing, the investments that need to come from that, and then how do you strike the right balance so that you don't move forward without the right planning, without the right technical processes in place. Because otherwise, if you are moving forward in good faith, well-meaning policies, and you're actually going to be driving the opposite to that, you're going to lose credibility with the public And that is going to then make you go backwards, not forward. So it's really important for me that we look carefully and we ask the right questions. So when I ask questions or challenge what's put before us, it's not done in a way to say, I'm not for this. It's actually done in a way to try to be thoughtful in the prudency of the regulatory policies that we're going to be implementing um, that are going to 
hopefully um, help us facilitate decarbonization responsibly, reliability, and cost-effectively. And after a quick break, we'll have more with Diane Berman, a commissioner for the New York State Public Service Commission. Support for the Capitol Press Room provided by the New York State AFL-CIO, a federation of 3,000 unions fighting for working people by keeping New York State union strong. Visit unionstrongny.org for more information. For listeners just joining us, we're continuing our conversation with Diane Berman, a commissioner for the New York State Public Service Commission, the state regulator responsible for keeping tabs on New York's utilities. When you think about decisions from the Public Service Commission in the wake of the adoption of the Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act, do you feel like, as a regulator, the decisions that have been coming from the body are rooted primarily in the affordability and reliability focus, or do you feel like they are now taking a backseat or are uh, giving equal measure to the environmental concerns? I think that we all need to lean into the conversation that needs to happen about the progress that we're making and perhaps what is it that we see as driving success. Is it truly meeting the deadlines that are in place? By meeting the deadlines, are we putting at risk more things? Are we putting at risk reliability? Are we putting at risk cost? Well, do you feel like decisions from the PSC are rooted in that, are rooted in achieving those deadlines above anything else? I think at times we could take a moment to consider more thoughtfully the way that we are moving forward. I think that the body itself really tries to work together, all seven of us, to come up with the right decisions. It doesn't mean that when I vote against something, I don't think that our my fellow commissioners are doing it you know, in a way that uh, they are trying to risk reliability, but I perhaps will see it differently and think that the risk there is not sufficient or we haven't planned sufficiently. And I will am comfortable then in raising up my voice in sharing sort of where I see things and where I see that the, the risk that we're doing and perhaps the future analysis that needs to be done needs to be done in, in a different way. Is that ever uncomfortable being either the lone voice or part of a small minority on decisions? Do you ever feel pressure to be part of the group or the larger majority on certain issues? Yes and no. Uh, I think it's always uncomfortable when you are not voting with the majority. But this is my first time being a actual decision maker. I always worked for decision makers. And I appreciated decision makers who would make decisions based on what they believed was the right thing. And the only way you can do that is if you take the time to really do the analysis, to make sure you have the resources and sort of the independence of your thought. And so for me, I really want to make sure that when I am making a decision that I have thought carefully through it. And so that 
for me, means that I have to be okay with being an outlier, perhaps, if I vote no. And yes, it's uncomfortable. Sometimes it could be difficult. But I've tried never to say, well, I'm just going to vote yes because I, I don't want anyone to be upset with me. I don't think that's my role. It's okay to be uncomfortable being in that situation. And in fact, I will say that I also take great pains to explain why I'm voting yeah. a certain way. And there was actually a time where I thought, maybe I should just vote yes or no or however and not explain my vote. And there was one issue, it doesn't matter what it was, but there was one issue that kept coming back to us in different forms. And I was each time explaining my vote, however I was voting. And then um, there was a decision that came related to it. And based on the papers that were before us, I said that I was now comfortable, that I thought the papers were well done. I thought that the record was there sufficiently. It was addressing all of the different concerns and really seemed to have the right path forward. So I voted yes. Later, I ran into the uh, young female attorney who had done those legal papers. And I commented to her that I thought, and this was after everything was over, so there was no issue, and I shared with her that I thought the papers really were great and really made me feel comfortable in my vote. And she shared with me that the way she had prepared was she went over every single commission session, not just the transcript, not just the record, but also listened to what I was saying. And she heard my voice. And so I actually helped her make the points and get the information she needed to address my concerns. And it really resonated with me that it is important for me to share when I feel strongly on something or when it's important to explain why I'm voting a certain way. It doesn't mean like, so if the majority is voting and they vote on something, I don't then, because I might have voted no, I don't then vote no on every single thing just because, well, my point didn't win. In fact, I have to look at it and say, the majority has spoken in this instance. Does it make sense now, despite my no vote, we are now moving on and the majority has spoken, and then where am I on the next phase? And am I comfortable now, based on where the majority was, to now vote for where we are, even if I initially wouldn't have voted to go that direction. So as a reporter, I, I hear the thoughtful, deliberative process that you go through and sometimes leads you to be in the minority. And I think about the decisions, though, that come out of the Public Service Commission, and I can't help but wonder whether those majority decisions are following the same thoughtful, deliberative process you're talking about, or whether they are simply representative of the wishes of the administration at, at the time, which is often responsible for appointing uh, those very commissioners, since those are the people responsible for appointing commissioners. So when you think about the decisions that have come from the PSC during your 10 years as a commissioner, or from your experience before that as special counsel to the commission, 
do you feel like the decisions are usually representative of the governor at the time, or do you feel like the commission will sometimes buck the governor and is leading its own course? It is important to be cognizant of the policy direction of the state and to, as a commission who is independent, to incorporate those policy objectives as deemed appropriate and prudent and to help implement them. It's not about deciding you disagree with a policy decision. It's about what is your role and responsibility now to implement that. It's our role to do so in a very prudent way. You know, we have a judiciary responsibility, not to the executive. We have a judiciary responsibility to the ratepayers. Mm-hmm. I think each and every one of us takes that seriously. And we also have a responsibility to look at policies and try to project out what that may mean. There is an increased need for dollars, investments, to put into place the state energy goals. That cannot continue to be done on the ratepayers. Understanding that there are challenges to do that, and so how do we move forward in a way where we are seeing the increased creep in the costs that it will mean. Now, what that means for us is looking at how to strike the right balance, and it may mean looking at what does it mean in our energy transition to ensure that we have the resources and tools to effectively implement it, and to make sure that the lights stay on, and that if they go off, they come back on right away. So that means we have to be very thoughtful We have to look at what it means as we are looking at extreme weather. Extreme weather now could be cloud cover. Extreme weather, you know, is is needing to look at the ramifications of that. As we are moving forward in decarbonization and there is a push to get us all off of gas, we need to understand that that increase in variable renewable energy sources capacity means that we have a need for greater flexibility, a need for more planning on the technical side, and that we also you know, have to look at the lessons learning. We've seen the carbon impacts of nuclear plants closing in New York firsthand uh, during my tenure as a commissioner. New York State, with carbon emissions from electricity generation in Zone J, increased about 47% in two years since the closure of Indian Point. So Zone J, I assume, is downstate. Yeah. And so there's little room now for us to get it wrong. And there's little room now for us, as we're looking at retirement of power plants, we're also seeing that the New York ISO is, you know, through its power trends and other analysis, is saying, you know, we may have some reliability challenges here. We may need to keep some of those plants on longer than, you know, some folks desire, not because we're against the clean energy transition, but because we can't risk the reliability. We can't risk the cost that it will mean. We can't risk the credibility of what we're doing to go away because people have lost faith 
in what we're doing. And I think that's significant. So we have to look at now de-risking our future and understand the different ramifications of that. We have to do analysis uh, you know, of, of all of these different things, of how things work as we're now moving on more and more renewables in a way that has increased the penetration uh, that may put at risk the reliability. And how do we balance that? How do we work through those scenarios so that we get to the other side in a better way, in a more cost-effective way, in a way that gives us more clean energy, and does it in a way that, that people say, all right, this, this is good. And after a quick break, we'll have more with Diane Berman, a commissioner for the New York State Public Service Commission. Support for Capital Press Room provided by the William G. Pomeroy Foundation. Communities across the Empire State have stories to tell. A roadside marker funded by the William G. Pomeroy Foundation can help your town or city educate the public, encourage pride of place, and promote local tourism. More about the Pomeroy Foundation's New York State Historic Marker Grant Program for 501c3 organizations, nonprofit academic institutions, and local state and federal government entities at wgpfoundation.org. For listeners just joining us, we're continuing our conversation with Diane Berman, a commissioner for the New York State Public Service Commission, the state regulator responsible for keeping tabs on New York's utilities. We've been focusing on the Public Service Commission largely through the context of its role in terms of regulating energy, but I think most reporters will remember when Governor Andrew Cuomo really tried to have the PSC step in as a regulatory agency for telecommunications companies, for access to the internet. What do you think about that experience? And how would you describe the actual power that you have to regulate, if at all, uh, internet access in New York? Well, we don't have jurisdiction over that. Some of our jurisdiction comes into play when you're looking at mergers of companies and that's where our, our approval can come in and whether that merger is in the public interest. So some of our levers for consumer outreach is done through the ability to say the public interest is served because you're agreeing to do X, even if we don't necessarily have jurisdiction. What we've seen over the years is when there is Every, every governor tries to insert themselves in the energy regulation at the PSC. It's our responsibility as a commissioner to make sure that, uh, and as a commission, to make sure that it is not an inappropriate reach-in and that we are doing so in a way that we are making our decisions based on the record and based on our independent responsibility to the ratepayers. That becomes difficult when you have public outcries by any governor against the commission or deciding how things should be decided. And so everyone across the board needs to be cognizant of making sure that the process is one that follows the right process is transparent, that it is not done just to check the box, and that people feel that their voice, whether they submit a comment 
whether they submit papers, whether they speak at a public statement hearing, that even if we don't agree with them ultimately, that their voice was heard, accounted for, and that a decision was made based on the full record and based on the interests of what's in the public interest. Well, then, do you think it's a mistake for the PSC, either at its own direction or at the direction of the governor, to try to get creative in terms of expanding its scope of power to get involved in things like the internet, where it might not have a direct and clear-cut regulatory authority? Part of the way things are is looking at the collaborative process. And so folks should be able to come up with different ideas, what may make sense, what may not, what does it look like, what is the right jurisdiction, should it be expanded, should it be restricted, should it remain as it is, what are the tools that are needed, what are the resources that are needed, and work through that. Understanding that regulatory stability is extremely important. Regulatory transparency is important. Having faith in the regulatory process is very important. I have a reputation of being very concerned about process. It does not mean that we should just have process just to have process. What it means is that there's an order People can understand it. People can see why you're doing certain things. And people can also understand if you have exceptions to that process, why? You have to explain that. There's an emergency situation. We have to jump ahead, whatever it may be. And so for me, it's about making sure that we are all working together in a way that is helping us move forward uh, and addressing some of the challenges that come and whether we need legislation on certain things to make that a reality. We also have to look at what is our role at the state, at the local level, at the federal level, and how do we all work together, and what is our jurisdictional approach, and what makes practical sense. What do you think of the structure of the commission in terms of the boxes that need to be checked off for partisanship and having the governor appoint people with the Senate confirming? Do you think that all leads to the best possible entity? So I've been on the commissions for 10 years. I was also a staffer. Mm -hmm. I have gone through close to 11 different chairs in my time as a staffer and now as a commissioner. I've gone from having four colleagues to five colleagues, down to two colleagues, then three colleagues, and up to now up to seven. I feel very strongly that if we are as a body working together, the diversity that we have is very important. The bipartisanship is important. No one is voting because of their party line. And in fact, what it does bring together is a diversity of opinion in a way that I think has been very helpful. We're all from different parts of the state. I think that also is helpful. And I think we all come from different mindsets. And we try to all work together in understanding each other and understanding where we're coming from. And I think that's been a very good thing. 
I think that the process is one that can always be improved on. I think that the commission as a body should have more of a role as a body and more resources and uh, perhaps more of a voice. It's a very, and it has always been, um, you know, for the years that I've been here, chair-centric and staff-centric. I'd like to see it commission body-centric because I think that that will make us even better um, as a regulatory uh, oversight body. For listeners just joining us, you're listening to the Capitol Press Room, and we're speaking with Diane Berman, a commissioner for the New York State Public Service Commission. From your time as commissioner, is there a decision or series of decisions that you feel might be underrated in terms of the long-term positive impact that they are going to have on New York State, whether it has to do with energy, telecommunications, water, or anything else? Um, I don't know about underrated. I would say that I think that we are leaning into um, energy affordability. I think that is a very big challenge. I think what energy affordability is, um, is in the eye of the beholder. And what I would say is, though, that we as a commission are very focused on the fact that our energy affordability policy needs to continually evolve in a more positive direction. What does that mean? Um, That means that we need to be very careful in looking at what we're doing in terms of the costs that are laid out, um, in terms of legislation that comes that, as well-meaning as it is, tries to, um, you know, set either caps or other things on uh, energy affordability. And and there's legislation like that that Democrats are championing right now. Yes. The reality is, is that energy affordability is at a crisis point. Um, Part of that is from post-COVID. Part of that is a lot of supply chain issues. Part of that is the increasing costs um, that are coming from state policies, not just in New York. And so our role is to also understand what the impact on that is. Part of what we need to do is enable, we're economic regulators. We want economic development opportunities in New York, not in other states, um, or that they go out of our state because the economic development is not going to happen here. And so if energy is the reason or the inability to afford energy, Um, that people do not stay here or do not come here, we have challenges with that. And so what I see is that I do see each and every one of us now leaning in more to our energy affordability policies that we have, to looking at what it means when we're going into a rate case, and to looking at what else can we do and how can we be innovative and creative, but also understanding the bottom line for ratepayers? Um, it's not enough to say, well, that's the supply side, you know, that's not the, the utility's fault or, or that's not our fault. Overall, people want to understand how they can keep their energy costs the same or lower and also want certain services. And so each rate case, we're seeing it's not just the standard costs that go into it. There are also a lot of other things that get packed on to that that uh, perhaps weren't there before that we need to be mindful of. 
Well, finally, your current term expires early in 2024. Are you eligible to serve beyond that? And if so, would you like to continue on the Public Service Commission beyond 2024? Are you nominating me? I don't believe I have that authority <laughs> under the statute currently. Um, so I have served. Um, I'm in my 10th year. Uh, my term does end February 2024. You know, I have been blessed to have served as long as I have served. And part of, for me, is I have a lot left in me, whether it's being an energy regulator or something else. Um, I care deeply about public service. I care deeply about doing the public good. And so I kind of look at it as whatever is down the road for me, I plan on being active in my afterlife, whatever that is. But if Governor Hochul comes to you in January next year and says, you know, we think you're doing a great job, might not always agree with you, but uh, we think you're a good uh, voice on the Public Service Commission, would you like us to appoint you again? What would you tell her? Well, first I'd ask what she doesn't agree with me on and have a discussion on that. But, yeah, am I open to that? Listen, when I got appointed and nominated and then confirmed my first term, I didn't expect to have a second term, and I was very blessed to have that second term. So, you know, who knows what my future holds? For me, it's important that whatever I do, I want my legacy at the commission, whether it ends in 2024 or continues after that, to be one that people look back and say, you know what, she was solid. She did something good, and she made a difference uh, in a positive way. Um, and I really would hope that whether it's me or someone else, that the commission kind of is focused on being the best that it can be and continually evolving, um, because we do have a really important mission and we really have to make sure that we have the tools and resources for the commission and the department itself, um, with dedicated staff to thrive. And that means also that, you know, even if we vote on something and people don't like our decisions, that they can respect that we did what we thought was right and not demonize us. Um, and I think that's really important. We all have a role in making sure our energy system works well and continues to evolve. Well, we've been speaking with Diane Berman. She's a commissioner for the New York State Public Service Commission. Diane, thank you so much for making the time. Well, thank you for having me. And for more Capital Press Room content, visit capitalpressroom.org or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. And if you listen to us from an Apple device, make sure to leave us a rating and a review so it helps other people find the show. Your business, agency, or service interested in delivering your message to more than two dozen radio stations statewide carrying Capital Press Room? If so, visit capitalpressroom.org to contact our underwriting team.